0: Welcome to Prajna Spark's special series Why Nirvana Matters, where Yeshe and Zoba talk to contemporary teachers about nirvana, peace, and its relevance in our lives and practice of Buddha Dharma. We're grateful to you for sharing and reviewing our podcast as often as you can. In today's episode, Yeshe speaks to Reverend Dian Park. Reverend Dian Park is a cumonym literally meaning one who devotes oneself to teach Buddha Dharma in the Wan Buddhist tradition. She has served as a minister of the Manhattan Wan Buddhist Temple and a representative of Wan Buddhism to the United Nations since 2008. She also serves as Buddhist chaplain at Columbia University and New York University and is co-chair of the Committee of Religious NGOs at the United
1: Nations. Good morning, Dan. Good morning.
0: I'm delighted to hear from you about Won Buddhism in general first. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with it.
1: All right. I think that's a good start. So Won Buddhism, W-O-N, that literally means a circle in Korean. In our meditation room, we actually have the circle in, in our altar instead of the Buddha statue. And this circle is a symbol of Dharmakaya Buddha. is the symbol of our enlightened nature, so-called Buddha nature. And then one Buddhism is a relatively new tradition, uh, started in 1916, South Korea. So our main focus is to bring this ancient Buddhist teaching to be more useful and practical and applicable in our day-to-day life. So a lot of times in our practice, the focus is to, yes, how we can make this Buddha Dharma to make ourselves be a better person in a day-to-day life. Uh, simply our founding teacher is saying that as we become a Buddhist practitioner, as we become a Dharma practitioner, you know, we need to be a person who can help individuals, families, and societies, and the nations. So I think that's maybe the very basic that we can start with.
0: Just before we started, you mentioned that today is the International Day of Peace. I'd love to hear about that because it relates so much to Nirvana as peace.
1: Right. So here uh, for me, I have this beautiful community here that I lead as a weekly practice here. But at the same time, I represent one Buddhism to the United Nations as one of the religious NGOs. And part of this uh, religious NGO work that today, September 21st, we celebrate the UN International Day of Peace. From the UN and for all the member states and countries that we celebrate and focusing how we can make this peace in our day-to-day life. So that's the Peace Day. And of course, it's not just for one day today. Uh, We make the peace through our spiritual cultivation every day. 24-7. 24-7. That's our goal. <laughs> That's wonderful.
0: Can you say a little bit about one Buddhism, how it views nirvana, and what's the role of nirvana in the teachings and day-to-day practice?
1: I guess the nirvana that we understand just like all other Buddhist traditions, we see nirvana from the Four Noble Truth teaching, and we see the nirvana as a Simply say, extinction. And what is extinguished is the fire of greed, hatred, and delusion, which are the root causes of our dukkha. So we can understand nirvana as a complete liberation. Also, we say complete peace. In the one Buddhist tradition, our founding teacher San's expression of nirvana will be the circle, again, this one we call the San. Particularly from this San's words, he describes this nirvana as a state of perfect, complete, utterly impartial, and selfless. That's what we call the one man gujok, qigong musa, that's in Korean. We understand the nirvana, again, as a state of our mind, as a complete peace and complete liberation.
0: That's lovely. Do you see a parallel between the more Buddhist representation of nirvana that you work with in your spiritual work and more worldly sense of peace that you see in, for example, the United Nations and other areas that aren't necessarily Buddhist or even spiritual?
1: Well, I guess peace is peace, meaning that I don't really separate this peace from secular perspective or you know spiritual religious perspective maybe that is why from the beginning I was able to join this dharma community because I wouldn't really do the practice that separates myself from the whole world so that the peace it's really the well my spiritual cultivation helps me to have the right understanding or better understanding of peace. You know, peace, there can be many different levels. And then my dharma cultivation, the Buddhist practice helps us to go deep down to the peace for not just for myself, but for all people and all sentient beings around us. Does that make sense? Yes, it certainly does. Can you say how you
0: might recommend to someone who's just Starting out and interested in Buddhism to understand nirvana, this peace in this very deep way, how do they have a sense of its presence if we're just starting out?
1: Mm, that's a difficult question, <laughs> but I will try. I will start from the teachings of the Four Noble Truths. So for us, Buddhist practitioner, our practice begins with the recognition of dukkha, meaning the the suffering or dissatisfaction or the stress that we uh, experience on a day-to-day basis. So we acknowledge that there are things in life going through. It's sometimes hard, sometimes challenging. It can be a little, you know, starting from little annoyance to the extreme challenges. And yet the Buddhist teaching gives us this path, saying that from the Gautama Buddha and many other spiritual teachers, saying that, well, there is uneasiness in our life, but through our spiritual cultivation, we can get rid of it. Meaning that that will be the cessation of dukkha, the nirvana. And one thing that I personally find is very helpful is that often in the one Buddhist teaching, I heard this from my teachers a lot. Seeing the dukkha, meaning at the same time, we also see the nirvana, meaning that you can just imagine this beautiful lotus flower. And we see this lotus flower that rooted in muddy water and that symbolize our spiritual cultivation, meaning that in our daily life, we have a lot of things coming and going with in the name of dukkha. But again, as long as we continue our spiritual cultivation dharma practice, that we can have the flower like a lotus, the beautiful uh, flower. And then you can think about you know, without the muddy water, there will be no lotus flower, meaning that without the dukkha that we're going through in our life, there must be no nirvana. Again, meaning that if there is no dukkha from the beginning, what's the point of nirvana? So for me, seeing the dukkha, it's not always like depressing or, you know, it's not always like a problematic meaning that I can see the dukkha and then that gives me more motivation so that I can work hard for the nirvana, this for the complete peace and liberation. It's an opportunity. And I think that's a lot of times what I heard from, at least from the one Buddhist teaching, my teacher would say, you know, don't overlook what this dukkha can bring to your life.
0: So it seems like the things of our daily life are actually like a door or a portal to nirvana, a way to connect.
1: Definitely. I really like that you use the word a door. Definitely it is the door <laughs> so that we can always go through. And also this nirvana, when we see nirvana as a peace or the liberation, in our more conventional sense, I see, you know, it's experiential level, meaning that it comes and goes. I mean, I may not have the complete peace all the time, but I see uh, through this spiritual cultivation that the state of mind, this complete calm, peace, clear mind, come and go. So maybe I can continue working hard to make that time much longer. a more frequent visit to this nirvana. I think that's yes. where I am in terms of nirvana.
0: That's lovely. You speak of spiritual cultivation to attain nirvana, the complete peace. Can you speak mm-hmm. a little bit about what that involves in your tradition, meditation or other acts or whatever it may be?
1: Yeah, also in the one Buddhist tradition, we just like a more traditional Buddhist guidelines. We have 3 trainings, we call the 3 studies, and that involves maybe from the traditional sense, we say there is a prajna, samadhi, shila practice. So we do have the cultivation of our mind to cultivate the calm, still, clear mind. Uh, mainly that reflects our meditation practice. And then second par- part for the wisdom aspect. So we of course, from the studying the old Buddhist text and studying by listening Dharma talks and podcasts like this, it's a way to um, open our insight for the wisdom aspect. And third, what you call the ethical conduct, the Shila practice. In the one tradition, we say mindful choice in action. So it really brings us this aspect. Yeah, we may cultivate calm, still mind. We may have the wisdom, but we have to bring those meditative wisdom into our action. So that will be the third one of the shila, mindful choice in action. So whenever we use our sixth sense organs in our speech, uh, in our action, in our thoughts, we always try to bring this meditation and the wisdom aspect. Yeah, just like any other Buddhist path, the mainly we have three aspects of practice that uh, sums up as samadhi, prajna, shila practice.
0: That's lovely.
1: You mentioned that you are working
0: with the community there in the center in New York. Can you speak a little bit about the center and the different offerings that are available? Thank you for
1: asking that. (laughs) I serve one Buddhism of Manhattan temple. We started this community back in 1995, I heard. So we have beautiful community here. We have weekly, many-hour Sunday dharma service at 11 a.m. in New York time. Still, we mainly do the online practice. And then during the weekdays, we have different programs. Sometimes we have three-weeks or five-weeks dharma study groups. I also serve as a Buddhist spiritual life advisor at Columbia University and New York University, where I meet on a weekly basis the college students to practice meditation and share the Dharma teaching together. That's a lovely opportunity for me to learn the young energy. And as I said in the beginning, I also serve here as a religious NGOs. Oh, and one other thing. Here in New York City, we have the Buddhist Council of New York. Since all the Buddhist traditions are actually here in New York City, that's one thing that I really appreciate this opportunity to meet the teachers and practitioners from different Buddhist traditions from all of the world. I also get a lot of chance to learn from other fellow practitioners and teachers. You are more than welcome to join our community and try many other traditions here in New York City as well
0: sounds such a rich community. Do you think that an understanding of nirvana is helpful for practice? Couldn't you just practice without any sense of nirvana, whether it exists or doesn't exist?
1: Definitely, if we have the right understanding of nirvana, that will help us to you know, motivate ourselves to continue our practice. And also for me, this understanding of the nirvana is an ongoing process you know i don't think i have a complete understanding for nirvana right now cuz i i see my practice as a journey so as long as we are open to that kind of understanding as long as we keep the space for you know whatever comes into our practice that really helps us to go in you know, our journey one other thing is that having the right understanding of nirvana it's like you know, putting your intention for your practice. Understanding nirvana, meaning, again, you have the understanding of the opposite side of nirvana, right? So I see myself struggling on a day-to-day basis, but at the same time, I know this is not the whole picture. I'm going through these challenges, the dukkhas, but I somehow, if I'm able to see what's behind this dukkha, then instead of... Giving up or pretending it's not there. I will just kind of face it. I will just see what it is and do my own practice with joy, with patience. And then I think that journey is the way to the Nirvana for your, the way to your Buddha nature, to your inner peace and inner Mm -hmm.
0: liberation. How is Nirvana related to Buddha nature?
1: Right. Um, so for me, when I see the Nirvana, again, it's not a other place like out there. It's a state of being, as we said, when there's no greed, hatred, or delusion. And that's the place of Nirvana. And for me, that's the Dharmakaya Buddha. And that's the, our Buddha nature, our enlightened nature when there is no selfish desire or a selfish ego. So in that sense, for me, the nirvana is not separate from this our Buddha nature.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. I see the image of the circle behind you that you mentioned. Can you speak about the symbolism of that circle and how it relates to practice and nirvana and Buddha nature or anything else? Right. I
1: mean, this is my little altar here I have. Uh, We have the circle as a symbol of of our Buddha nature, symbol of the truth, symbol of all the teaching that we have in our practice. But then, you know, our founding teacher officially kind of enshrined this circle in our altar. But sothe was not the only one having this circular image as expression of the truth. Many Zen teachers, not only the Buddhist traditions, but also many other spiritual traditions, you know, throughout the history, I could also find some, you know, history from the Christian background as well. There's circular image we see as a symbol of the truth, symbol of God. So, and this is again, it's also a symbol. It's the expression of the truth. Always the point is that as you already know, you know, it's not the finger that you, you need to see, but it's the moon itself. The finger pointing to the moon is helping us to see the real moon. So this iron sang again as a circle, the symbol helps us to see the real moon, the truth. So for me, when I see the circle, I have different circles here and there. Now I see the circle as a wow that's the universe and that's my buddha nature which is well rounded because sometimes when I think of my own mind sometimes my mind can be really different shape <laughs> but like wow my buddha nature is well rounded complete again the selfless mind so it's a reminder for me to you know look back going back to my my true nature, my original nature, my Buddha nature.
0: That's so beautiful, Diane. Thank you so much for sharing that and for being with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience about nirvana, peace, anything else?
1: I think it's very important as a practitioner for us to have the sense, this awareness in the back of our our mind that everything is ever evolving, whatever you think you know you understand at the point right now, that may not be the end. Sometimes we can put the comma but never period. Take this as a journey.
0: Thank you so much, and congratulations for the award you I heard you received for your work at the United Nations for interfaith leadership on this International Day of Peace. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is Yeshe for Prajna Sparks. Find out more about Wan Buddhism, the Manhattan Wan Buddhist Temple, and Reverend Dian Park in the episode notes. Be sure to join us on the next full moon for a new dialogue with another teacher about why nirvana matters. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to like, follow, share, and review Prajna Sparks. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us at the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit.